let's kick off the next segment, which is something I'm super excited about, which is talking about ordinal collections. There's a standard rolling out this week. I didn't even know this, Leo. This is correct. But Casey and the team are focusing on, they've been focusing on collections being a big thing. I was not aware this was going to come out this quickly. And so the way it works is that it is a parent-child relationship between inscriptions. So they use recursion. So the first inscription is like the provenance inscription that then points to all the other inscriptions. And apparently Yuga says they're going to be using this standard for 12-fold. So maybe they have been listening to feedback here. So Leo, you want to kick off any comments on that? Yeah, I'll try to pen a tweet here in a sec, but basically, I think maybe Cy or other people could speak potentially better than I can about this. But yeah, I messaged Casey. This is like a question I talked to Casey about when he was first showing me inscriptions. And it was like, we need some way to have a concept of a collection, right? You need some sort of standard. And he shared the GitHub and it's a very clever way to do it, right? It's a very like simple parent-child relationship where the parent is this like collection object that establishes the provenance created by the artist. And then they just add 500 pieces as children that point to that parent. And then you essentially end up with this easy standard for all the clients can easily read it. All the explorers can read it. I think it's going to be really nice. The whole like go to GitHub, do a pull request. We could trust that all the inscription numbers were correct. This just isn't, isn't great. And I'm sure it's just a matter of time until somebody finds there was a discrepancy and then somebody's buying something on one of these marketplaces that is not actually the real thing. This is going to fix all that and it's going to streamline things a lot. So I'm very excited. And yeah, Yuga says it's their intention to use this. And apparently it's like testing and they're going to roll it out very soon here. It sounds like this is a priority from everything I've seen. So that's super cool. So maybe go to either Sai or Rock Toshi. Have either of you guys studied up on this, how it's going to work and Maybe could you explain it a little bit better? Is it a JSON that I'm inscribing in the text? How does this actually work in terms of, it's a little unclear to me. So I can read from the GitHub right now. So this is just basically the summary that Very Ordinally, who's, I believe, one of the people spearheading this with Casey. So he said, we should have some notion of provenance for inscriptions that satisfies these three requirements. For an inscription, you need to see who made it. For a creator, see which inscriptions they made. And then three, allow referencing an inscription within an artist's body of work by number or name. So like parent inscription and then number one, parent inscription, number two. And then basically you accomplish this by they introduce this concept of a parent-child relationship between inscriptions. When an inscription is created, it can be made the child of an existing inscription, which becomes its parent. The UTXO that currently holds the parent inscription is an additional input to the revealed transaction for the child inscription and spent to a separate output in the revealed transaction. The parent relationship then needs to be established when an inscription is created and cannot be added or changed later. That's the whole point when you're buying it, right? It's locked in forever. There's that scarcity of 10,000. It's never changing. It's immutable. And then an inscription can only have one or no parent. That makes sense. They have no parents right now. And if inscription has a parent, the child's inscription page will link to the parent's inscription page in the Ordinal Explorer. So this is basically just the client's going to implement this. Casey's client will implement this at first, and then hopefully other clients will follow. Obviously, it was very easy for Casey to establish the protocol to start because there's no clients to update. Now there's a bunch of APIs that need to get adjusted and all these clients need to upgrade. And that is a bit of a slower process because it's just it's adopting the latest changes. And we'll see. Like I have no... Clearly, this is a problem that needs to be solved. So I'm not worried about their initiative like failing or not being adopted or something like that. I think there's pretty clearly interest and support for this. But yeah, look, let's see in a few days when this rolls out. 
And Yuga could be one of the first collections to do it. I'm sure there might be some test collections out there even right now playing with it. And I'll say like the thing when I was messaging with Casey about this, he basically said that he is very excited, not just because of the like collection aspect, but there's like interesting things you could do. And for any like creators in the audience, maybe pay attention here. So he was saying that you can have a parent-child relationship, but you can actually create a tree. So it's like you have the parent and then there's a child and then that child can be the parent of two more inscriptions, right? And you can have this tree that's a potentially a really interesting hierarchy approach. And again, on Ethereum, the primitive is you have your ERC721 contract, it's flat, there's many tokens that are part of that collection. Here you could do something potentially interesting, multi-layered collections. I have no idea, but Casey thought it was like an interesting thing where potentially we could experiment and innovate. So yeah, I'll be paying close attention to this parent-child relationship thing. I think that's a much more abstract innovation than just collections. I think people are going to use that in fun ways. Yeah, can I comment on how much this sort of is unexpected or maybe boggles the mind of people who have been coding in traditional solidity or clarity and to think about a completely wild and different way to do it is just saying and so refreshing to see that I would have never been able to think of this in a million years, that there would be a way to do this with single Satoshis and the fact that it lines up quite cleanly. My question was, how do you prevent somebody from inscribing another child to your parent? What is the mechanism that actually is using the parent to write or inscribe the child? Raf, what's up, man? So you are part of the Ordinals development team, is that correct? Uh, yeah, hey, guys. Uh, yeah, I've been working with Casey for the last, I don't know, six months or so and coding away. And yeah. Raf, hang on. Stop for a second. You are the infamous person that Casey's been working on? One of the persons. Way? Like before me, there was another one, but I'm the second person he has worked with and the one that he has worked with the last couple of months. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Everybody go follow Raph. <laughs> I'm very excited for this. Yeah, Raph, let, let me give you a little applause here. Oh, thanks, thanks. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate all the hard work that you're doing. And thank you so much for joining us on the stage to illuminate how this collection model is going to work. Yeah. Super excited to hear. Yeah, sure. Leonidas already did a good job at explaining most of it. And now the question was, how do you make sure that nobody like inscribes with referencing your parent? The way this works is that the parent has to be part of the inscription transaction. So if you make a new inscription, you specify the parent, and then you have to include it in the inscription transaction. And this makes sure, so it has to be part of your wallet. You actually have to actually own the parent to, to specify it. And this kind of makes sure that, yeah, nobody can take it away. Of course, if you transfer your parent somewhere, somebody else could start like adding new inscriptions to, to, to that collection. And yeah, in that sense. And what, is it, what does it mean to include the parent in the transaction it, or include the, in the inscription? Uh, right now, the idea is to include it in the first input of the transaction. So the first input would be the parent. And then the second would be the new inscription. But you would like it would come into the transaction and land back in, in an output. Yeah, I don't know. It goes in, Got it. like tags Let it, and then goes so, away again. So it's basically like sending yourself the parent yeah, while basically. inscribing the child. Yeah, to, to, okay, that, to, that, that's very clear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's to prove that, that you own it. And of course, like right now, it's a bit awkward because then you would have to sequentially do every inscription that you do. But of course, if we in the future do batch inscriptions, you could have the parent like join once and then inscribe a batch of things. And then the parent goes back to the to, back to you, basically. That's the way you do it. And then you would also have, in the future, you could also do open and closed collections. For example, if you burn the parent, 
then it's a closed collection. Burning it means it can't be added anymore. So it's like the collection is closed in itself and keeping an open meaning that the parent has not been burned. There's all kinds of stuff you can add on top of this. And then, as you said, there's all this, this hierarchy. You can have like sub-collections and sub-collections. It's very interesting. It's a cool design space once, it's, once the tools are mature. It's going to be quite cool to see what people are going to create with that. That's super cool. Rock Toshi actually shared with me amazing chart or graphic in our chat here that I want to tweet and pin up the top, give people an understanding that you can have multiple inputs and multiple outputs in a Bitcoin transaction. But it makes perfect sense. You're basically taking the parent, you're plugging it into that transaction, mm-hmm. sending it to yourself while the other one is inscribed. And yep. that's super fascinating. Yeah, yep. that's the idea. And yeah, we're working on that. Oh, yeah. What did he send you? Let me see. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, give me the sig hash flags. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Can you explain this to me like I'm nine years old? Explain it to me like, like that way. Like for our artist friends and who are listening here who are like, what did he just say? What do I have to do? I can give a metaphor. It's you have painted this piece of painting and then you have the stamp that kind of identifies you. And then you take that painting and you stamp that painting. And that's the stamp is the parent and the painting is the inscription. So you just, in the bottom right corner, you put your stamp after you have created your, your painting and then everybody knows, oh, okay, that's part of this inscription. And then you can identify yourself with that parent inscription. That's, I don't know, how it would work. And like, yeah, a metaphor to that. I don't know if that answered your question. If that was Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It's like sub-assets on Counterparty to a degree, almost. I'm sure it's technically much different, but it's a similar feel. Yeah. Basically that, yeah, you have this hierarchy. You can go, you can build this huge tree of like sub-parent-child relationships and heritage. And yeah, let's see what people do with it. Do we just have to build the tools? I just wanted to clarify this. So the parent-child relationship is created when the child inscription is created. Yeah. So. This is interesting because if you don't create, once you inscribe, right, and please correct me if I'm wrong, once you inscribe, if you don't make that inscription the child of another, then that is not going to be, then that's it, correct? Exactly. That's in that inscription. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So right now, like, you can't retroactively make a collection. A collection has to be decided at inscription. There is, we could think about how to do retroactive collections to, like, collect existing collection inscriptions into a collection but that makes everything a little bit more immutable and that's not what we it makes everything more mutable and that kind of uh, is not a good design choice so for now or probably also for the future collections only when at the genesis of an inscription and so raf so basically when you inscribe you're also just sending a utxo to yourself is that correct yeah uh, when you inscribe you're sending basically a utxo to yourself there's some configuration flags in the org client where you can set the destination. So you can, if you want already, when you inscribe, you can set the destination address and you can inscribe directly to someone else's address if you want to. But without any configuration, it sends it back to yourself. And so is the way to lock the supply by burning the parent then? Or is there another method to do that? Probably, yeah. So if you, that would be a closed collection, but that's still far and further in the future. So open would be if the parent is still there and then closed would be if it's burnt, and that would be the locked collection. That's right. So, Raf, while we have you up here, I think if anybody has questions for Raf, like I certainly have like several, I think we should just do a mini ask me anything here. What was it like going, what was it like working with Casey for the first few months when nobody really cared about this? And then you guys released the inscription part, and that just goes completely bonkers. 
And did you inscribe anything low? Like, what's your experience been like? This is a pretty yeah. incredible thing to have been part of. Leonis is trying to see which of your ordinals you can buy. <laughs> but low-key, low-key, I might hit you up on that. But, uh, yeah. I'm curious about the journey, dude. It's uh, yeah. pretty incredible that you were there that early. Yeah, the journey is very random. I don't know. I was hanging out on Twitter and GitHub, and I saw this Casey guy and started following him. And then, I don't know, I saw his repo, but at the time, it didn't know very much Rust. And so I was like, ah, okay, it's all in Rust. I don't really understand most of it, but it sounds interesting. And then a couple of weeks or a month went by, and then I looked at it again, was like, okay, I'm going to learn some Rust. So I learned some Rust, looked at the code base, and just started to contributing like really small stuff. I think the first thing I contributed to was the clock. Nobody knows about the clock, but it's like, a, yeah, it's like a, if you go to ordinals.com slash clock, it shows different kind of parameters of the blockchain. The halvening cycle, the subsidy, the and other different kind of like cycles of Bitcoin. And that's the kind of the first thing I contributed to. And yeah, and then I just started working on this stuff. And then at some point, Casey was like, hey, do you want to yeah, work on this like full time? I'll pay you a little bit of money. And that's like when I went full on and we started coding together. And the beginning was very nice. Casey is very, he has a lot of experience with Rust and I learned a lot and it's, yeah. And I learned Rust together with him and worked on this cool thing. So, yeah. And I would have never thought that it blew up, uh, that it would blow up this big. I thought it would be like a small art project, maybe a couple hundred people use it or a thousand and do some small inscriptions, but now I'm just using it and it's just, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Okay. So for people, there, there's a really big takeaway here, guys that I think is important. So you started volunteering your time just as an open source contributor mm-hmm. to the project when there was literally only one person working on it. Is that yeah, yeah, I think the repo had five stars or four stars and I just thought it was interesting and started contributing. Yeah. And now this is your full-time job. No, I'm still a student and I worked, I, I, it wasn't full-time. I worked, I don't know, 20 hours a week or 25 hours a week on it. And right now I'm in my semester break, so I have more time to work on it. But yeah, it's not my full-time job. I'm still a student. Yeah. I'm sure your spring break is quite different than your classmates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. It's like a really cool internship. <laughs> yeah. Can't imagine a more interesting internship than working with Casey on Ordinals. Okay. I think, yeah, that was really it. I just, I wanted the developers listening to hear that story because I think that's really important. But if you want to get involved, there's a ton of ways to get involved in like this open source path that Casey's creating. This is definitely really a uh, really interesting way to get involved and just meet people and contribute to the core protocol. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. And for sure, the, the PR and the GitHub has been, I don't know, we have not cleaned it up in a while. Like we see all of your PRs, everyone who has been committing and we're going to try like merging some more stuff. But Casey has been very busy and I can't like merge more complex stuff on my own. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll start like getting the velocity of yeah new contributors yeah, actually contributing up. So yeah, keep opening PR and stuff. That's cool. Raph, amazing work. And just like, you guys are so hardworking. It's like crazy how small your team is. And yeah, like it's just a surreal story, I'm sure. I'm going to go to Eli Herp. But first, I want to mention, I did pin to the top the amazing image that Rock Toshi sent to me that helped me visualize how this thing works. And I wrote down the notes from what Raph just told us. And guys, if you have, I'm getting some notes from people in the audience who they have questions they want to ask Raph. So please just, we have a full stage right now. And if you have a question, if you can just write it in the reply, smash the purple comment button in the bottom right, write it, and then we'll be able to read it for you up here. So let's go to Eli Herf first, then Billy, then Cy. 
Yeah, thanks for that, Raph. Amazing stuff and a good name as well. That's my son's name. So you mentioned before about the artist needs to retain the parents if they want to expand the collection. So how does that work? Do they? Is it possible to then... in? So when they inscribe a new... When they create a new inscription, pardon me, are they referencing that parent and then they hold the parent to prove that shows the provenance? And then can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by like burning it? Does that mean just like sending the Satoshi off into the ether or how does that, how do you, how, what's the difference between an open and a, I know I'm asking a few questions here, but an open and a closed collection by using this parent inscription? Yeah, another word for open and closed would be mutable and immutable or appendable and uh, or something like so the collection, you can either expand it or not. That's what it means. And if you burn it, it means the collection is immutable. Nothing can ever change about it. And it's done. And burning specifically means burning to an address that is unspendable. I don't know the details at the moment where you could send it to, but you could send it to a well-known burn address, like some address that like is known to not be spendable, I think, or to an off return or something. Different methods of burning. I don't know the details right now, but that's basically how it works. And then how, sorry, and then how are the, the child or the children inscriptions, how are they connected to, maybe I misunderstood it, like how they reference to the parent's inscription? Like which way? Oh, there's two parts. So the parent has to be part of the inscription transaction. And then as part of the metadata of the inscription, you reference which parent you mean. So yeah, right now, an inscription has two parts. That's basically the, the MIME type, so the data type, and then the data. And then we add a third field that is the parent ID. And then it references the parent ID, but at the same time, it also has to include the parent in the inscription transaction. That's how it would work. I don't know if that answers your question. Let me know if... That was clear enough. That was very clear. Thank you. Okay. Uh, nice. Awesome. Billy and then Cy. Yeah, mine might be a basic one, but cardinal numbers are basically just sequential numbers. You know, what happens or what do you foresee when we start getting in the millions? The inscription number is in the millions. It's just a ton of numbers jammed together. When I talk to some people on the other side, they're like, oh, it doesn't like have a name. And is that parent-child relationship, is that going to, is there going to be able to like almost like embed or classify it with a name, especially in regards to collections? Curious your thoughts. I don't know. Like, so first of all, it's ordinals. Cardinal oh, UTXOs is dude, anything my, my that bad. doesn't, it's the opposites, just so yeah, to clear it up. My, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the naming. So right now, Satoshis, if you look at ordinal theory and if you look at the Explorer, like Satoshis do have like names. And they have very long numbers. There's 21 quadrillion Satoshis or something. And then the inscription numbers, I don't know. Yeah, they will get high, but you could probably also develop a naming scheme, like just mapping it to letters. But I'm not sure if that's desirable or exactly the use case. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I, yeah, I don't really understand what the quest like was. Yeah, I guess when you start to see these collections on Explorers, like the actual inscription number isn't even going to be able to display next to each other. Yeah, I guess maybe it'll get tackled. Well, I guess you could, like the parent inscription could hold data that kind of names the collection. So the parent inscription would be metadata about the actual like child or the children. So you could inscribe a piece of text that kind of defines everything or gives it a name, and then you can name your collection. That, that, that's definitely possible. 
I'm pushing for season one, season two, season three of Ordinals. I don't know if you guys are interested in that sort of naming mechanism. What do you guys think? I don't know what that means. Like, how I'm do you decide saying, when one season? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we're in season one right now, bro. And season two starts next month. And then season three. Yeah, but, and- yeah. <laughs> but that's difficult to decide or come to consensus to. Like, when, when, is, the, uh, yeah, yeah, when is the exact date for season one and season two? So the cardinal ordinal thing is interesting. And I learned a little bit about math. Cardinal numbers, you have five apples. Ordinal numbers are sequential, which I got backwards. It's just funny that you guys created something so incredible that when you Google ordinals, which is a math <laughs> math term, like Bitcoin inscriptions pop up. I think that is just awesome. You guys basically hijacked math in SEO. I've got a stat here. I checked today. <laughs> Casey's site, y'all's site, Raph, has 1.1 yeah. million hits in the past Ooh. month. Pretty wild. Wow. That's pretty crazy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still running. It's like just one shitty server. <laughs> and Sang still works. It's searching. Yeah. Awesome. Let's go to Sai and then Sphinx. Absolutely. Hey, Raph, excellent work as always. Your stuff is always in absolute blast to read i just wanted to say anybody who hasn't and is interested in contributing to the project you do not need to be raf like raf is really good at writing code in rust the rest of us can do things like contribute to documentation even just contribute on the issues by commenting and explaining your use case all of these things are very simple and can be done by a average user and will make it easier for people like raf and casey to make the software better for everybody in the end. Yeah, for sure. That's a very good comment. Awesome. Thank you, Sai. Sphinx. First of all, Sai, I really appreciate that sentiment. Um, What I was going to ask was about if an ordinal has been used as a prime ordinal. So could you, the ordinal page should list all of those inscriptions? That it's made? Yeah, like a prime ordinal is an older concept we had for where you just associate yourself with the, with a Satoshi you own and then use that for provenance. Now we're calling it a parent inscription, so you actually have to inscribe first. Maybe we'll bring back like the prime ordinal thing. We're not sure yet what is best there. Yeah. And then a final thing I wanted to ask was about these side, was actually two things. Were there be bulk, uh, bulk inscriptions possible and then i wanted to ask about these side collections with this family tree type thing that's really interesting so yeah like batch inscriptions or bulk inscriptions definitely something we want to implement because now you have to yeah do so many transactions it also should be technically possible but we haven't started work on that yet but i think right after collections that's up there because it makes sense to inscribe collection in a batch transaction and then the what was the second question the, the you mean tree yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The side collections. The, oh the... yeah, parent-child is just a—it's just a relationship between inscriptions. And then, if you like expand out or go down, you can build this kind of tree where you have a parent that has children, and that child is a parent of another child. And then you have this tree of, of relationships that, that you can build. I don't know yet what exactly is the use case, but the simplest use case is collections. So a parent and all their children is one collection. And then you could like, yeah, depending on like how many levels you look at, like there's different interpretations of what is, but like the easiest interpretation of this hierarchy is parents and all the children is a collection. I just wanted to say, Ralph, first of all, that's awesome what you guys have done. Also, 
I have no idea how the, how and why this will be, but I think this side collection family tree thing, I think it's going to turn out to be something huge because I don't know why. It seems to me like I'm just like blown away by the concept. I don't know if it's going to be gamified. I don't know what, but it's, I think it's going to be huge. That's great that you were already excited about this. <laughs> I think the interesting thing is that people can actually trade the parent inscription, almost like trading a collection. So you could imagine people make a collection here and they, if it's popular, it's like you can sell the parent before burning it. And then the, whoever has it, it's like selling a smart contract, which I don't think is possible on Ethereum or I don't think there is. A, it's all manual. People have like manually passed smart contracts to other people. But you can't really, what is the word, turn a smart contract into an, an asset itself or in a decentralized way, like swap it. So that's super interesting. Let's go to good things. Yeah. Hey, Trevor. Uh, thanks for having me up. This is really exciting. Really excited to be up here. For anyone that doesn't know me, my name is Mike. I work for a company called Metagood. Our, uh, our CEO is Danny Yang. He is the one with our team that inscribed our OnChain Monkey Genesis collection an inscription, ordinal inscription 20219. We, I had the pleasure of meeting Raf in person. Raf, it's great to hear your voice again. It was super excited to meet you and the team last week in Oakland. And when I asked Raf, what feature are you guys planning on implementing next? He told me collections and provenance. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And then next thing I know, I'm talking with Wildman, another member of the team with Danny about what can our team do to help support. And so I know our engineers have been working with you guys just fixing diagnosing bugs and doing our part. So really excited that you guys have the kind of openness that you do to working with other developers and other teams in the space. I'm super excited for what you guys are going to be building next. I know you touched a little bit about velocity increasing. Do you guys have an updated roadmap? The last one that I've seen is, I think it's, it's issue 1248. Is there any updates to that at all? Or I don't think we updated the roadmap. Yeah. Like right now, Casey's kind of busy and he's still a linchpin of this kind of blocked on many things, but yeah, yeah no, no worries at all. I, you guys are doing amazing work. So no worries at all. I was just curious. I just thought I'd throw that out there in case we could get any kind of alpha because I know everybody is chomping at the bit for what you guys are building and what you guys have built already. The last thing I'll say is you guys put out a value statement. I believe that was last week. I saw, I think it was each of you had a tweet out from the team tweeting out this. It's called the Ordinals Protocol Open Ethical Protocol Development. I don't know if it's okay if I pin it up, but I recommend everybody read that because that is seems to be the statement that you guys have all decided on and how you're going to build this out. And I think it's super important that you guys put it out there. And I love that you inscribed it using the protocol as well. So thank you again for everything that you guys are doing. Good things. Can we actually pin this one? Do you have a link to that? I'll pin it up right now. Yeah, this is part of it. You're just telling what the intentions are. Not like using, I don't know, our own software and doing like, I don't know, and collections before it's released, that kind of stuff. Just yeah, being clear what's next. It's important. Honestly, I think we should just read it because this is like the most official statement I've seen y'all release. And I think it, I don't know, it's a really very thoughtful statement. Was it mostly Casey who wrote this, Ralph? I think it was a team effort. We're just sitting around a computer and had a Google Docs open. And then we just screenshotted the Google Docs and posted it. <laughs> you, would you like to read it or should I read it? Yeah, yeah, I can read it. The Ordnance Protocol, Open Ethical Protocol Development. As the motley cast of characters developing the Ordnance Protocol reference implementation, we commit to open and fair development. We will strive to telegraph our moves widely. 
This includes ensuring our development and release process is open and fair. We plan to collaborate in good synastry with artists, technologists, and astrologists alike. However, all will have equal footing in the ecosystem. In particular, we commit to clear and timely communication of protocol design choices and timing of releases, introducing significant new capabilities, not using unreleased ORD client features for commercial gain before they are released as open source. No pre-mines or pre-sales of any kind, prioritizing open, extensible protocol development over any narrow financial, commercial, and artistic self-interests. In short, we commit to principled Mad Max capitalism of the best and worst kind. Good luck, have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice statement. Awesome. And BitGear asks, with the parent-child inscription, could we start the longest chain past the Satoshi event? So what he's saying is, could we create a parent inscription and then essentially create like a, what is it called, social experiment where we see passing that parent to another person and then letting them inscribe something and then passing the parent to somebody else and see what happens, see how far we can go. We know somebody's going to keep it for themselves along the way or and what are people going to inscribe? I think that's a very clever idea, Big Gear. So thank you for saying that. And Raf, what do you think of that? Yeah, sure. That's a great idea. It's passing the torch and then you can inscribe something and it's going to be cool to see what people are going to inscribe into this like open collection. Yeah, for sure. It's a great idea. That's cool. I think we should try to start that maybe on, on the show here as soon as this is ready. Raf, how far away is this? This is coming out like next week or how far away until we can start doing it? Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully next week. Yeah, there's some, yeah, it's some subtleties in the code that are tricky, but yeah, some tech debt that we were like, we had some simplifications that we now have to throw out because the parent, the parent reference and yeah, it just takes a while, but hopefully next week. This is unreal. Can you... Is it possible for like a parent to have like <laughs> twins where they're two or three or whatever, however many are identical to each other, but unique or to others? So I'm just like mind blown. Someone play that sound, please. I'm just going nuts. I don't know, like twins, you, you mean yeah, to create children? That would be like having, it would be having, it's like referencing a parent and batch inscribing something. Then you would have, in the same transaction, you would have referenced the parent and, I don't know, birth three children. I don't think, I don't know what you mean with twins. Is, like, are the inscriptions uh, identical? What does that yes, mean? Yes, yes, exactly. So it's like we have, so we have, it's almost like introducing some level of fungibility to it, I guess. But amongst those two will be identical, but they'll be unique within the collection, within the family, if that makes sense. I see what you mean. Yeah, the problem is they're still inscriptions and inscriptions have a clear ordering. So they will have different inscription numbers. It's very difficult to make that concept of twins work or fungible inscriptions. But yeah. Thanks for having me. I have to go now. But yeah, it was very nice to talk to you. And yeah, just you know, Everybody that, uh, kind of showcase Raph. everything. Even Come back. Come back anytime, Raf. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Oh, yeah, hopefully we didn't delay the future release by end of 45 minutes. Also, <laughs> Guys, we have Isabel who just joined us again. Isabel, you are doing comms for Ordinal, is that correct? And I know you were talking about how Bitcoin maxis can think about this. So I just want to ask you, what has your experience been so far 
And yeah, just tell us about yourself and what you're doing with the Ordinals Project. And yeah, we just love to learn more and great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks. Wow. So I have been doing kind of marketing communications in the space for a couple of years. Prior to that, I had a long comms resume outside of the digital asset space. But more to the point, I've been following what Casey's doing for a really long time. Basically, since he first got started, we all met at a meetup, him, and I know you mentioned Aaron, who's going to be running the astrology slash ordinals conference in Miami. Aaron is Casey's podcast host, how many podcast host? We all know each other from IRL Bitcoin meetup land. And we've all just been good friends for a while. And ordinals happened. And yeah, and the rest is history. It's all been very fast and all been a blur. But yeah, I think it just made sense for all of us who've just been casually following what Casey's doing for the past year without a ton of attention. It made sense for each of us to contribute our individual kind of talents and skills to the project after it blew up the way it did. So that, that's a story in a nutshell. And so Isabel, it says in your bio, Bitcoin Magazine, I see you got the laser eyes going on here. So are you a Bitcoin maximalist? Or did you have NFTs before? No. What did you think of ordinals? So I, I, I would identify, I hate the term maximalist, but I always identify as a Bitcoiner. I feel like I'm not the only one who says that, right? I feel like that's like a common thing for people to be like, oh, I'm the maximalist is weird, but I'm a Bitcoiner. I'm definitely a Bitcoiner through and through. Most people would consider me a maximalist, whatever that means. But I, yeah, but I'd worked in the digital asset space, including at Decrypt. I worked at Decrypt Magazine. I was running marketing at Decrypt for a brief period in my like digital assets consulting days. And so when I was there, I got a lot of exposure to NFTs and doing some marketing related stuff to NFTs. But I personally was never invested or knew a ton about it outside of that experience. So I'm definitely playing catch up right now and learning so much from the growing ordinals ecosystem. That's just like wild to be around. So yeah, I'm definitely a learner, but I had, I would say that I had some experience having worked at Decrypt, which is obviously a very NFT forward publication. Yeah. So what is your take on the, I think a lot of us feel like this has been a cultural moment with ordinals, that it has shifted the Overton window of what's acceptable on Bitcoin that has changed how people think. People famously in the Bitcoin world have been saying NFTs are a scam, they're evil, go away Satan, don't come here on Bitcoin. And now we have something better than NFTs, I think. For sure. Or for a lot of use cases, at least, for some of the core use cases, not every use case. But we have something dope here. And for those people, they're experiencing a lot of cognitive dissonance. We've had people like Jimmy Song say that Luxor is going to be punished and that oh. we're going to decrease the block size. And there, there's been like, a variety of reactions. I'm just curious as someone who is focused on the comm side, what did you think going into this? What has been the strategy? How's it evolved? What have you learned? Strategy is a loose term because we're definitely like inventing this as we go. And again, I don't think any of us who are really close to this project really had an idea of what was about to happen on January 6th or whenever the, I forget, I think that was the day that Ordinals went mainnet. We weren't prepared for this. Strategy is we're literally inventing it as it's happening, right? It's to say that there's a super strong strategy going into this would be inaccurate. I technically just started full-time with ordinals yesterday, right? So we're being thrown into the deep end of the water. That said, just to answer your question as far as like how I think about this in terms of the narrative of being maxis versus crypto people versus NFTs, scammer, blah, blah, blah. I think that the perspective of the 
pro-ordinal Bitcoiner contingent, right? The sort of contingent of like folks who would otherwise maybe be described as maxis, but who also really see the value of ordinals and who sort of embrace ordinals are folks who are really able to make nuanced distinctions about why NFTs on Ethereum, for instance, might be problematic and how ordinals fixes those specific problems, right? So like, instead of just like painting a brush on NFTs and being like, oh, NFT is scam, right? It's like the folks who actually understand what may be problematic about NFTs on Ethereum or other chains and look at ordinals like structurally and think about what those specific issues and challenges are and can really apply why ordinals fixes those problems or how those problems are. Yeah, like how ordinals really is different in those ways and how ordinals is bringing digital collectibles a new face that isn't really truly, in my opinion, Bitcoin ethos aligned. I think though that's where the sort of distinction lies amongst the Bitcoiners, or at least one of them is being able to have a nuanced critique of why NFTs on other chains are problematic and why ordinals is different. That's super well said. And anyone else has questions, feel free to raise your hand to ask Isabel some more questions here about her experience. But I have a couple more, Isabel. The next one is like, where do you think this is going? Do you think that we've reached acceptance in the Bitcoin community now? Do you think that there's more to do to explain the value of this? And what do you think that's going to take if there is more work to do? I think that so and I, I've looked at some like casual like statistics, like just like straight up those like Twitter surveys or whatever. And from what I can tell, based on the brief anecdotal kind of things that I've noticed in the community, there's three camps of Bitcoiners. There's like people who are really upset about inscriptions and ordinals who I'd say are a minority people who are neutral, which is probably the majority, right? And then people who are really into ordinals and really love it and see it as generally a net positive for Bitcoin. And I think the like super anti-ordinals folks are definitely in the minority. I, I also think that it's healthy for Bitcoiners to have criticisms and concerns. And I think that we should be addressing those and having conversations about it. I have no problem with Bitcoiners raising tough questions about ordinals. And also, I think particularly Casey, like in his early interviews, seeing him on like Bankless and some of these other early interviews where he did really like long form interviews, he really addresses a lot of those criticisms incredibly well. And I think certainly for myself, I've had my own kind of reckoning with this question and really come to the personal point of view that ordinals is a net positive for Bitcoin, that that even perhaps ordinals is a net positive for the security of the network. If we're having an explosion of people running Bitcoin full nodes, like that's a positive. We're seeing mass orange pilling amongst people who otherwise thought Bitcoin was a boomer coin that like didn't matter and wasn't relevant. These are all net positive, in my opinion, to the risks. And again, not to, I think that the risks are still worth talking about and we should be enabling those conversations and allowing those conversations to happen. But I do think that generally, speaking, certainly where I've come and where many other people in the Bitcoin community have come is that this is neutral to potentially net positive in terms of its influence and impact on Bitcoin in general. Super well said. Thank you for that. I have one final question, which is for those people who are previously, I'm saying previously, prominent Bitcoiners who hate ordinals, are they eventually going to flip or are they just going to fade off into obscurity? I think they'll peter out. I think they'll tire eventually. Unless there's some like ordinals catastrophe where some like unforeseen thing happens where, oh my gosh, dear God, they're right. And coin is it like a fundamentally threatened by ordinals, which again, if that's the case, Bitcoin was probably doomed from the beginning. And I think many of us have that perspective. But yeah, I think that the folks who are like really 
pounding the pavement on like how much they hate inscriptions and ordinals, eventually they're just going to get exhausted. And they'll just like tire of hearing themselves. And it, they're not really accomplishing anything. You can complain all day, but what are you going to do? Ordinals is happening. It's a train that can't be stopped. There's nothing to be done. So like at some point, complaining is just going to get boring. Yeah, absolutely. Super well said. Echo that 100x, throwing down the 100s. It's, it's interesting. One of my favorite, Udi has been doing just a great job, of just or the Taparizic community been doing a great job of just like throwing out memes of these formerly prominent Bitcoiners seething and coping. And it's so funny because I posted a video that was very important to me that took 10 years to make yesterday that's pinned in my profile. And Udi made this meme of Jimmy Song and like these cowboys dancing and screaming. Apparently it's a meme from 2015 that I didn't know about. But it's watched three more, three times more than than the, uh, the video that took me 10 years to make. And I actually listened to it probably 100 times myself. I think it's been great to see the culture change. And Isabel, thank you for the work that you're doing on the front lines to communicate the merits of this project and help all the development and core team that are involved. We really appreciate it. And it's, we love having you on the show. Thank you.